Well, good morning, church. It's great to see all of you. Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers and grandmothers. Uh, The rain has stopped. The sun is out. It is good indeed to be here together. We are in a five-week sermon series together on the Holy Spirit in this season of Easter as we're making our way towards Pentecost Sunday on June 4th. We're asking questions about who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? What kind of role does he play in the life of the Trinity? Um, And so last week we looked that he is the helper, the one who helps us know Jesus Christ. And today we're looking at the fact that he is the sanctifier, uh, and we'll look at what that means. And so we'll do that through Romans 8, this very famous yet somewhat difficult to understand text, Romans 8, 1 through 16. I'll be reading portions of it, so if you'll turn there in your bulletin or to your, in your Bibles, let me pray as we go to God's Word. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into our willing souls. Let the presence of the risen Lord come renew our hearts and make us whole. That is what we long for today, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would fill me in my weakness and all of us in our weakness. That we would not only hear your word today and understand it, but that we would respond to it with desire, obedience, and love. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Hear God's word, friends. This is absolutely true, and it is given to each of you in love. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor it cannot do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, do you see? We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. 
Many of you, I'm sure, will be familiar with um, one of Michelangelo's most famous works of art, um, what's often called the Pieta, a a sculpture of of, uh, Mary holding her crucified son. Some of you may have even been fortunate enough to see this in person. I learned this week, I'd never learned this before, that this is the only sculpture that Michelangelo actually ever signed. And it was installed in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome in 1500, and there it stayed until 1972 when there was this terrible incident, it was quite famous, when a vandal broke past security in the museum, wielding a hammer, it began to smash the Pieta to pieces. Thankfully, um, the security guards were able to tackle the the hammer wielder and save the statue from being blasted to smithereens, but it was seriously damaged. Uh, Mary's entire left arm and side were shattered. It damaged her nose, her face, her veil, her left eye. And so over the next year, a team of experts gathered up every single shard and sliver of shattered marble. Can you imagine? Every single sliver and began to painstakingly piece the statue back together again. They made it whole, restored it to fullness. Friends, I'd like you to keep this image in your mind today as a picture of what God wants to do to you, of God wants to do in you, for you, to you. I don't think I have to convince many of you today that there are shattered places in your life. I really doubt that I need to persuade many of you that there are places in your life that are deeply broken and that you know are not what God intended them to be. You were not made to be shattered. You were not created to be marred. You were not made to be broken. And God made each of us, and each of us bear this beautiful and glorious image of God within us, and yet evil and sin like that man wielding the hammer, has rushed in and smashed his image to pieces. And so many of us are just mere broken shadows of the people that we were meant to be. But here's the good news, friends. God is a master rebuilder. God is a master expert recreator, and he is at work remaking men and women and boys and girls, restoring his image in each of us, making us, remaking us into the glorious people that he intended us to be. And the key foreman in all of this work is the Holy Spirit. He is the sanctifier, which is a fancy way of saying he is the one who is in charge of making us whole. He is the one in charge of restoring us, of piecing us back together again. What does that look like? That's what we want to look at today. Romans 8 mentions the Holy Spirit 17 times. He is the active foreman in this work of transformation. How does he do this work? And how do you and I participate, cooperate with the Spirit in this work of making us whole? So I want to look at Romans 8 through these two headings today. First of all, to cooperate with the work of the Spirit is to know who you are. And second, to cooperate with the work of the Spirit is to become who you are. You must do these two things. If you are going to see this work of restoration in your life, you must know who you are. You must become who you are. All right? You with me? You with me, church? You out there, church? All right. So first, know who you are. Our culture is obsessed with identity, right? Even the stories and the myths of our culture are bear this narrative of the search for identity. Think of Pinocchio, you know, desperate to, 
become a real boy. Think of Luke Skywalker, you know, trying to figure out who he is, or Elsa, you know, from Frozen. Um, this is the, the great prevailing mindset of our day, is you are what you make yourself to be. It's up to you. It's up to you to find out who you are. It's up to you to create who you are. And in many cases, it's up to you to recreate or redefine who you are. And against this dominant cultural message of the self-made person, the Bible has a contrary message, and that is that you are not self-made. You cannot be self-made. Your identity, in fact, the Bible says, doesn't come from inside of you. It comes from outside of you. In fact, your identity is not something you create from within. It's something you receive from without as a gift of God to you in Jesus Christ. And that's what Romans 8 is about, learning about this identity that is given to you by grace in Jesus Christ. And the key to this identity is this glorious doctrine that, that unfortunately we do not talk about very much, and that is this, union with Christ. That is the key to your new identity if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, union with Christ. What does that mean? It means these two things at least. First of all, it means that you are in Christ. Look at chapter eight, verse one. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Interestingly, that Paul never once uses the word Christian in any of his letters. The phrase that he uses to describe those who believe in Jesus is that you are in Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that Christ represents you. It means that everything that Jesus is and everything that he has accomplished is now yours, is now credited to you. Negatively, that means that Christ has been your stand-in for judgments. That instead of your judgment for sin given to you, it was given to Jesus Christ instead, and therefore there is no condemnation for sin left for you. It has all been extinguished in the judgment of Jesus on the cross. Positively, this means that everything beautiful and glorious and righteous that Jesus is, is now yours and credited and given to you. This is hard for us moderns to understand because we live in such an individualistic society, but we still think this way in sports, if you think about it. So like in sports, if you're watching baseball, for example, and a guy hits a walk-off home run and wins the game, that single man has scored the winning home run and has won the game, but his victory is credited, his home run is credited to the entire team. Everyone triumphs in his home run, even the guys on the bench. Even people sitting at home watching TV. I mean, it's no, I, I haven't hid from you that I am an avid Cubs fan. And last spring when the Cubs won the, won the World Series, as soon as that walk-off home run was hit, I stood up and what did I say? I said, we won! We won. Now, what was I doing? I was just eating Cheetos, you know? I didn't swing a bat. Yet, the triumph of that single man was credited to me and all those who were associated with the Chicago Cubs, right? All of us triumph in one man's victory. Does that, does that make sense? That's what it means to be in Christ. It means that all that is his, all of his glory, all of his power, all of his triumph over death and sin is now given to you by faith in Christ. You are in Christ. But that's not all that it means, union with Christ. It also means that Christ is in you. Look at verse 9. It says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. This, this, is, this is almost too mind-blowing for me to even explain. This is actually saying that, that upon conversion, upon putting your faith in Jesus Christ, it is not just that God credits the righteousness of Jesus Christ to you. It is that God, through the Holy Spirit, 
takes the person of Jesus Christ and he deposits him inside of you. I mean, this is like mysticism at the highest plane. The, 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 the real living Jesus who walked on this earth, who, who raised people from the dead, who healed the sick, who calmed the sea, who died and rose from the dead and has ascended into heaven. This same Jesus Christ deposited by the Holy Spirit into all those who trust in him by faith. So much so that your fundamental nature and who you are is changed by Christ who now lives in you. My friend Rankin Wilburn wrote this wonderful book called Union with Christ. I highly commend it. Many of the illustrations I'm using today came from him. And in this book, Rankin talks about that this is the major difference between Batman and Spider-Man. I mean, Batman is pretty cool, but let's just face it, Batman, you're just a common man. You know, anybody could be Batman with the right stuff. You know, he's a rich guy who, because of his wealth, is able to have a banging car and a super suit. I could be Batman with the right stuff. Well, maybe not, but you know, <laughs> I like to think that I could be. And so Batman's fundamental nature isn't changed. He's just got good toys. Spider-Man is different, however. Spider-Man has been bitten by a radioactive spider, and the actual human nature of Peter Parker has been fundamentally changed by an alien invader from the outside who has changed the fundamental nature of his humanity. So he is now able to do things that he was not previously capable to do with a power that he could not have had before. So what it is saying is, in Christ, you are Spider-Man, not Batman. In Christ, something alien has entered into your nature, has given you power that you did not have previously. And the purpose of all of this is not so that you can swing from buildings. The purpose is, going back to the beginning, is so that you can become fully in Christ, who you are, so that you can be made whole, so that you can be restored and pieced back together, so that you can become like Jesus Christ. God doesn't want to wipe out your personality and your individuality. He made you you beautiful you as you are, but the only way you can be fully yourself is when Christ is in you. And when the Spirit empowers you through Christ to become, dare I say it, the best version of yourself. The man, the woman, the boy, and the girl that he intended you to be. And you now have the power to live in a way that was not previously possible to you because the Spirit of Christ is now living in you. That's what union with Christ means. It means, first of all, you are in Christ, but second, that Christ is in you. It is about the work of Christ for us and the work of Christ in us, and all of this happens through the work of the Spirit, who is the real and living bond between every believer in Jesus Christ. It is, friends, I know that I'm a preacher, and I am prone to exaggeration. I am really working on that. But I, (laughs) here, I do not think it is preacherly hyperbole for me to say that this is the most amazing thing you will ever hear. And I don't understand why you guys are not like jumping up and down and waving your hands. <laughs> Gotta get some Pentecostals up in this place, y'all. <laughs> Listen, I am actually saying, the Bible is actually saying that upon trusting in Jesus Christ, the living Lord of the universe who is risen and ascended over all things is now living and deposited, giving his very power to oversee all things in you. This is, thank you. This is a miracle. This, this is a miracle. This is astounding. And this is true. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's who you are. 
do you know this? Do you know this? Have you received this, friends? Has this happened to you? Don't you want to stop trying to prove yourself? Don't you want to get off the treadmill of frantically trying to craft your own identity and desperately seeking to manage your reputation and constantly fearful and insecure of what people think of you, not knowing who you are? Aren't you tired of that? Come to Christ, friends. This is freedom. This is rest. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. To know who you are, to be free of fear of judgment, to be free of the fear of the future, to to know that you have the power to live a new life, to become the best version of yourself all through the very presence and power of the living Lord Jesus Christ inside of you by his spirit. Do you know that? Do you have that? Have you received that? Do you even know who you are, who you could be? I pray that some of you would know that and receive it today. That's union with Christ. That is the first step of participating with the Spirit, is knowing who you are. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. Secondly, though, you can't just know where you are to become restored and to become new and whole and transformed. You also have to become who you are. We all know that it's possible for something to be true about you, but to not actually be living out what is true. Uh, My family and I just recently, this weekend, watched... um, that old 2001 movie, um, Princess Diaries. Have you ever seen that? It was Anne Hathaway's breakaway film. Any of y'all seen that? It's actually a really good film. Um, and it's, the story is about this little dorky sophomore girl named Mia who's kind of a reject in her local high school. And all of a sudden, like, her long-lost grandmother shows up and lo and behold tells her that she is the crown princess of the country of Genovia. And she can't believe it. But it's true. It is true. She is, this is who she is. But of course, she is not behaving according to what is true. She's still acting like a goofy, silly teenager. And she's got to learn to become who she is. She has to learn to walk in the right way and dress in the right way and hold her pinky in the right way and be poised and speak in the right way. Throughout the movie, she has to learn to become who she is by birthright. And this is the great appeal of the New Testament. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, now your job is to become who you already are. This is what Paul means in Ephesians 1 when he says, I pray that your eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you would know and live what is true. The hope of eternal life and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Would you start becoming and living who you already are in Jesus Christ? The problem with this, that sounds great, but the problem with this is that it's really hard. And and the reason why it's really hard is because it's not just Christ who is living in you. It is also your sinful nature that is still living in you. And this is the great struggle that Paul writes about in Romans. He writes about it in Romans 7. He says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do. He says that in Romans 7. Did you get that one? Romans 8, in verse 5 through 13, you see he describes this battle between the realm of the spirit. Isn't that sound? It's so interesting. The realm of the spirit and the realm of of the flesh. It's his way of talking about that within every Christian, and you know this if you are a Christian, is that there is this warring battle between these two economies, these two kingdoms that he calls the realm of the spirit and the realm of the flesh. One of my good friends, Erin Rose, who works at Easton Fellowship, preached a great sermon on this a couple years ago. And she likened these two kingdoms um, to something she called Fleshlandia and Spiritopia. 
She said, when every person becomes a Christian, they are essentially bound and torn between these, these two kingdoms, Fleshlandia and Spiritopia. And Fleshlandia teaches its citizens that they are masters of their own destiny and that the only thing you serve is yourself. And some of the chief exports of Fleshlandia are idolatry and hatred and greed and sexual immorality and jealousy and selfish ambition. And, and actually, those who live in Fleshlandia, as we all have, are not actually citizens of all. We're slaves. Slaves to appetites, slaves to selfish desires and ambitions. But thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, that through the work of Jesus, we are rescued and transferred and made citizens of Spiritopia. Verse 9, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And whereas previously you had no choice but to serve the flesh, now through the power of the Spirit, you can choose to live in Spiritopia instead. Whereas previously you were a slave, Paul says, now you are free to live as the citizen of this new land of the Spirit. This is what sanctification means. I'll get a little theological here with you in a second. Justification is talking about the freedom from the penalty of sin. That's Romans 8.1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This happens immediately upon conversion. You are justified. Christ's righteousness is legally credited to you and you are saved forever. No condemnation. But sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. That's the work of the Spirit as he increasingly frees you from the power that sin has in your life. I love that old hymn, Rock of Ages, in the original version of the hymn. Choir, you might be able to help me out with this. Where it says, uh, Before sin the double cure Cleanse me of its guilt and power. Did you hear that? Come on, y'all. Why don't you help me out with that? (laughs) B for sin, the double cure. Cleanse me of its guilt, that's justification, and power, that's sanctification. That not only are we freed from the, the penalty and punishment of sin, but we are increasingly freed from the power of sin. Through the power of the Spirit, we can be freed as we become more of who we are, citizens of Spiritopia, participating in the divine nature, as Peter says, living out our new identity as those who are in Christ. Verse 12, you have an obligation to live now according to their new identity, and you're not doing it on your own. You are doing it through the Spirit who is in you. Is this work of being made new, sanctification, is this God's job, or is it your job? Yes. Trick question, right? It is God's job because he acts to work and will in you according to his purposes, Philippians 2.13. But he also, scripture is full of commands to walk in the spirit, to live in the spirit, to be led by the spirit. It involves us cooperating with the spirit of God within us. How do we do that in our daily life? Well, let me just end here because this is what Paul, he talks about it here. He talks about it in Galatians 5 and Colossians 3. It is this daily practice, sometimes it's called putting off and putting on, sometimes it's called resisting and renewing, sometimes, this is the way theologians put it, I love this, mortification, don't you love that? Mortification and uh, aspiration. What is this? This is like like the pedaling of a bicycle up and down, this is like the daily pattern for the Christian of what it means to walk in the spirit, to put off and put on, to put to death and to, and to resist lies and believe the truth. First, on the left, we see mortification. We see verse 13. Paul says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, 
you will live. The actual word there that Paul uses for put to death is murder. No translator can bring himself to write that. Murder the mysteries of the body. Violently execute them. And we can do this, first of all, because the Spirit gives us the desire to do it. You'll know this if you're a Christian, that hopefully you have an increasingly hatred of sin, a desire to see it expunged from your own life. And then the Spirit actually enables you to do this work of resisting it. And it's work. This is why Paul says, put it to death. Don't mess with it. Don't play games with sin. Don't fool yourself into thinking you have something under control when you don't. Declare war on the presence of sin and self-centeredness in your life and any old attitude and behavior that is pulling you back into fleshlandia. Put it to death. Execute it, he says. A few years ago, I had a friend who was really struggling with an addiction to pornography. And um, he took this very seriously. He decided he was going to declare war on it. And so not only did he set up the software on his laptop that protected him, and, but, but he asked me to call him every day, uh, which was kind of annoying, but I did. Um, and then he took it to a whole other level where every day on his way home from work, he would stop at one of his friend's house and hand over his laptop, his iPad, and his phone. Now, is that extreme? Well, not if you're in war. Not if you're trying to kill something that is killing you. And we've all got stuff like this. It might be in an addiction. I've seen you, some of you do this. It might be uh, an attachment to something like perhaps money or an, even another person as you give your affection to something in disproportionate, unhealthy way. Maybe it's vanity or pride or apathy or laziness, how you use your words or your tongues. Others of us, it's toxic and dysfunctional patterns of thinking and feeling of shame and guilt and insecurity and fear. Paul says, kill it! Execute it! Go after it! Declare war on these things because you are no longer enslaved to them. You've been set free. You now are citizen of the Spirit, so become who you are. But it's not just killing it. It's also aspiration. It's also setting your mind in the right column on the things of the Spirit. Verse 5. So this involves having a mind that is governed by the Spirit, tuning to things that are now true and living in accordance with those things. This is the work that the Spirit does. You'll see this in this section. He shows us that we're sons and daughters of the Lord, verse 14. He removes our sense of fear and rejection, verse 15. He assures us that we are loved and accepted by the Father, verse 16. He gives us confidence to approach God boldly in prayer. That's later in the chapter, verse 26. It is the job of the Spirit to testify to our spirits, that we belong to the Abba Father, that we are no longer orphans, that we are children of the King, and we may now become and live increasingly who we are. I had a friend who um, adopted a little girl when she was five or six, and she was from another country, and she had lived a very brutal life up to this point. And when they adopted her, at first she was extremely nervous, she was deeply distrusting, she was unwilling to be touched or hugged or anything. Her parents bought her all these new toys, she wouldn't go near the toys, she didn't trust them. At the dinner table, uh, she would take food and stuff it in her pockets because she was so used to not knowing where her next meal was coming from. A year later, same little girl. She was crawled up in her daddy's lap, asleep against his chest, totally at peace, totally at trust. What happened? She was legally adopted day one. But it, she was still living as an orphan, still living in fear. It took her an entire year for her to become what she already was, 
on the very day of her adoption. It took her that long to become what she was. And this is your job, brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ, this is your job. Do you know him? You are new. You are a child of the Father. You are adopted child of the King with all the honors and privileges of Jesus Christ. Christ is in you. Let the Spirit remind you of all that is yours in the gospel and live as a child and reject the orphan mind. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. Do it this week, friends. When you find yourself anxious this week, remind yourself that you have forgotten that God is your Father and that He orders all things for your good. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. Remember that you are loved, become who you are. When you're overwhelmed with guilt or unworthiness this week, when you have taken on too many things, attempting to prove yourself, show your worth, you've forgotten that you are a child. You've forgotten that you have all the inheritance of heaven. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Become who you are. When you are tempted by something because you feel strongly that you need it to satiate some desire in you, you have forgotten that you are God's child and that in Christ he has already given you everything that you need to satisfy your soul forever. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Remember you have everything in Christ. Become who you are. And as you do this every day, like the upstroke and downstroke of a piston in an engine, putting off, putting on, rejecting the lie, living the truth, putting to death, renewing the mind, mortification, aspiration. As you do this day by day, you will find slowly that you are being restored. You will slowly begin to see the best version of yourself emerge. You will slowly begin to see love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, gentleness and faithfulness. And self-control. And the key is slowly, friends, because as Brian Loritz says, there are no microwaves in God's kitchen, only crockpots. <laughs> there are no spiritual lobotomies in the kingdom of God. He does not train us, not microwave you and you are changed overnight. This is slow, patient work. And there will be days when it feels like you're going backwards. There will be days like I had about three of them this week where I wondered whether I even had the Holy Spirit because I am the, still the same jerk that I've always been. But friends, here is the promise. Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, he will complete the work that he's begun in you. And he will not fail. The Lord of the universe will not fail. And so there is hope even for the darkest struggle in your life, even for the thing that you yourself have lost hope for. Jesus does not lose hope for you. He is in you. He is restoring you. He is making you new. And as one pastor said, the Christian life is like walking up a stairs while playing with a yo-yo. There's lots of ups and downs, but you're always moving up. So friends, you are, you are moving up. And one day you will find, as you begin again and again, looking to Christ, remembering there is no condemnation, asking again for the power of the Spirit to help you live in the Spirit, you will find one day that you are not only justified, freed from the penalty of sin, you are not only sanctified, freed from the power of sin, but you will find yourself glorified, freed from the very presence of sin as we rejoice in the kingdom of God together. Friends, like the artist restoring the Pieta, God is at work restoring you and the chief foreman is the spirit. So will you cooperate with him? Will you receive who you are? Will you receive your identity in him? Would you do that today? Would you Remember who you are when you forget it and live lies as an orphan every day. And will you become who you are? Will you increasingly live as the child of the Father that you are now through Christ?
May it be so for us. Let's pray. Would you speak to God, whatever you are sensing uh, the Spirit prompting you to speak to Him right now. It may be that it may be that some of you want to be made new. You 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 want to trust in Jesus Christ even for the first time. Would you do that now? It may be that some of you have given up hope for yourself. There is some dark struggle or some dark battle in your life that you have been too terrified to name. Would you name it now to God, recognizing that he has put the spirit in you to help you overcome and to be free? Perhaps you just simply want to freshly surrender to your union with Jesus. Remembering that the truest thing about yourself is that you are in Christ and that Christ is in you. What would you say to him now? Holy Spirit, sanctifier of God, thank you that you are the chief foreman in making us whole and piecing us back together again and making us that glorious image, that best version of the man and the woman and the boy and the girl that you desire us to be. Thank you that your desire is not to extinguish our personality and to eliminate our individuality, but that your desire is to truly make us who we are through Christ in us, the hope of glory. May we fight May we go further up and further in, battling hard, going after this, knowing that we have been made new in Christ and therefore we have the power to become these new people that you have called us to be. May we do it not just for, your, not just for the sake of ourselves, but for your sake, for your glory in the world, because we know that this is the reason for which Christ died, to make people whole. We pray this in his great name. Amen.